From Hammond, Louisiana, this is Home Care America, your weekly dose of news and insights from the wonderful world of home care, waiver providers, and ICF IDD operators. It's brought to you by Cura OS, the all-in-one software solution that was forged from 30 years of experience in this industry. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to new listeners out there. We really hope that some of y'all have had a chance to rejoin and re-celebrate this amazing carnival and Mardi Gras culture we have here in Louisiana. It's been a miserable couple of years with the hurricanes and pandemic, so I think we've really earned this celebration. If you haven't had a chance yet, you've still got plenty of time, so get out there, be safe, but celebrate. Dang it, we've really earned this one. I personally had an incredible moment at a parade in uptown New Orleans when I witnessed a group of caregivers usher their elderly clients in wheelchairs down to the side of a parade, and I could tell from the looks of joy and even the tears of joy that it was a very special moment. These folks were so delighted they got to experience this celebration again in their lifetimes. It reminded me of what's at stake in this industry and what those moments of satisfaction can look and feel like. All right, y'all. Last week on the podcast, James Griffith, the CEO of Cura, and Bridget Wilson, Chief Operating Officer, sat down with Caroline Meehan, the Executive Director of the Community Provider Association. It's Louisiana's leading statewide trade association for disability services. It was a really great in-depth interview that covered some pretty important changes happening at the state level that affect the home care and waiver provider world. So if you missed out, you want to go back and listen, maybe even download and transcribe on otter.com because there's a lot of helpful, actionable information in there that you can use. This week on the podcast, we want to rejoin that conversation, just as Bridget Wilson is explaining how and why the CPA got started and what a tremendous difference it has made in the years since. Here's Bridget Wilson. We definitely tried to make policy decisions and move things forward, but we didn't have an executive director. We didn't have somebody working full-time on our behalf. And I think in 2014 or 13 is when we realized that we really needed somebody working on that full time. You know, but that was really crucial because we just were missing opportunities. We're running our businesses. You just can't. And so that was when we, we joined together with two other organizations and really mapped out a plan and a path for us to all pull our resources into one. James, you used this great analogy of going on a whitewater raft trip, that we're all in this boat together. We're all trying to get through the rapids together, and we all need to be rowing in the same boat with a great guide helping us get down this river. And that's what I believe the CPA is. You are such a great executive director finding out all, you know, Caroline filters so much information from the federal government, the state government, hearing what all the providers issues are, and really it holds that information to help us make good policy decisions to get us cleanly down that river and and to come out safely and and win you know and something that happened this this past legislative you know we do have to fight to keep it there but money is put in the executive budget for providers for the first time ever as far as i know never has money for rate increases for providers 
support coordinators, and ICFs been put in the executive budget. That is huge. That is such a win. And it is because Caroline Meehan and the providers that work with her are pushing all the time and we got it done and it's huge and it is going to it is going to really help our industry and it is the efforts of a lot of people pushing and rowing in the same direction absolutely um i mean and that is you know i kind of when i think about our mission and our purpose at the cpa i think about we have this external mission which is to have one unified voice for all disability service organizations in baton rouge in washington across the state with the department of health And we're advocating and we're lobbying at the state legislature. But we also have, to me, this internal focus, which is the network and community of people like Bridget and James and others across the state, the members on our board and our membership who have full-time jobs (laughs) providing services and doing support coordination and who are, I can imagine, I've not been a provider myself, but I can imagine it can feel lonely, isolating, overwhelming. And so what the CPA also offers is a community. I call, I joke and call it peer support, but it really is just mm-hmm. to get together, troubleshoot together, share best practices, and even just moan together sometimes <laughs> of the situation that people are in because it's such hard work. And as James said earlier, it's been underappreciated. It's not been recognized as a you know professional industry. And so I think the CPA offers that as well. I know that it has come light years I know that it has come light years from when I was participating in the meetings 30 years ago not the most legitimized services offered in the long-term care industry and we, we, we were afraid to ask for more we always felt like we were lucky to get what we had And I just think it's wonderful that today we can work more forcefully on behalf of the providers with true lobbying efforts and legislative meetings and actually help guide policy. And your ability to get this on the executive budget is a clear demonstration of how far we've come. It's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, truly a team effort. So one of the things that I see happening is, as we know that these services will expand dramatically over the next decade, we have 10,000 people a day turning 65, and the infrastructure has been built for the delivery of these services through these Medicaid waivers. And we know that we have Medicaid waivers already established for the elderly, so they'll likely be expanded to accommodate the growth and services required to care for the elderly. And so we know that there's going to be a, a huge need for more direct service workers in our country. And what we've seen at CARE and what we've been able to do recently is share workshops that families helping families is having to our staff. Like it's for the first time that I've seen this type of activity available for DSPs where they can now better their skills, like attending workshops on their own. And while we put it, while we give this information through our care bulletins and our DSP network, We have never seen such great response 
to these types of classes and workshops being offered. There's such a hunger for them. And as a provider, we we do provide training, obviously, and we're always looking for better ways to support our direct service workers. And I'm just so grateful what for what Families Helping Families is doing, our ability to share that. And I just think it would be so great in the future if we could figure out how to broaden the skill level as an industry for our DSPs and our direct social service workers and offer them because they are going to, they are emerging as a true valued skill in our country. And that's only going to increase. So. What can we do as a maybe as a CPA or as a provider association to try to create some sort of learning opportunities offered on a broader basis to DSWs? Is there maybe is there anything that we can do? Yeah, we we talk about this so much. <laughs> we talk about developing the workforce, and I mean, I think we talked about this. We've talked about this a little bit in terms of this legislative session coming up. I mean, the first thing we're always going to fight for is better reimbursement rates, just because, and you all know this better than anyone as providers, it's nearly impossible to recruit and retain a worker and help them see being a DSP as a career path if there's no upward financial mobility. So we're always going to be fighting for that. But putting that aside, I mean, I think that we're actually working with the Department of Health right now on a study resolution that would look a couple things about the DSP workforce. So what are some barriers that keep people from working as DSPs in the first place? But then also, what are the incentives that people would want to remain in the workforce as DSPs and progress? And so I think education and professional development, like you said, James, is a huge part of that. Something kind of my dream for the CPA is down the line, well, we have more than one staff person, maybe <laughs> to have kind of a, you know, an educate education and training component, a package, maybe or an institute for people at every level for DSPs, but also for frontline supervisors, for administrators. I think that's clearly part of our mission as an association. Mm-hmm. And I think that you, you know, we, we have to pay people more, but we also have to reinforce to them the value of the work and the value of how we see the value in them gaining skills in the work. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's also just acknowledging them when you see them, you know, I mean, and really knowing who people are and, you know, being happy when you, when they come by. And COVID has been so hard because I know for us, when, when we had to put barricades up to stop people from coming in, it was it was terrible. We hated it. As soon as there was a reprieve, it was like, get them down. Let's let people come in. And then, of course, we had to put them back up for a little bit of time. But so people are, are finally starting to come out again. And it's just great to see people and give them a hug. <laughs> you know, it sounds silly, but but... I think people haven't been hugged in a long time either, you know. And It was great when I met you today, Caroline, to have a hug. And it was almost like, is this okay or not? And it's those things, you know. I mean, and we do things like cards to games, just like somebody does something really great. You know, we just, just hey, here, go, thanks. We love, we appreciate you. You know, it's just those little touches and knowing what your staff like is is just another way to really personalize that for your staff you know like if you know they like 
Chick-fil-A instead of Cane's. Don't give them a Cane's card, give them Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. So that kind of stuff, as well as providing, I think, other types of education, you know, something called Motivation Mondays, you know, and we've done how to de-stress and how to plan for financial things and just different little topics that are that are about their life, mm-hmm. about life, not just about work. Mm-hmm. And so I think to provide a good to provide that balance is is really important too when you're talking about training and giving information to people. I've I've really found that a lot of our staff, you know, they are truly dedicated to what they do. I mean, we have staff that have worked with us for 25, 27 years out of 30. I mean, truly direct care staff been with us that long. I'm so pleased and proud to say that. And I, I believe that, you know, they find true worth and value in the job that they do, you know, caring, making a true difference in the life of somebody else every day is a very meaningful and valuable job. I think also that, you know, at CARE, you know, I, I never forget when I was in the Navy and I, I would walk down my pier to my ship every day. On the, I'm so proud I was on the USS Iowa, a big battleship. And I would walk down that dock and I, you know, I, I only made maybe $500 a month. I was so poor, but I was so proud. I was—I felt like I was part of something so much bigger than myself and that I was truly making a difference, a meaningful difference in the world. And I think our employees have the opportunity to feel that way about their job in our industry. And it's up to us as employers to make them feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And to do that, they have to feel valuable. They have to feel like... Their their job here is meaningful, that they're making a difference. And it just seems to me like over the last 30 years, many providers out of necessity and regulatory oversight have just kind of lost sight of the investment that we are required to make in our staff, you know, to to create processes, streamline the way we do our or accomplish our mission every day in a way that values their contribution to the care we provide. Because, I mean, ultimately, it's them. They are the frontline worker. And I just see so often as as providers, we lose sight of that. I've, I've, I've experienced this more through Cura, obviously, than care. But I just see where many providers have processes in place that have been adopted over years and quite often they don't even know why they're doing it this way anymore. And it's just the way it's always been done. But the way it was, the way it was done at some period of time was appropriate and adequate. But as things have changed, that way of doing things now just makes life hard for the staff to accomplish their goals of caring for the individual. I just think as providers, we probably need to take stock of the way that we invest in our staff and the way that we allow them to accomplish their job on our behalf and just see, are there ways that we get in the way of them being able to accomplish our mission. Yeah, I, I, I see a real kind of tie-in between, I think, what the CPA tries to do and what, what Cura is trying to do, which is 
I think a lot of what we do at the CPA is just trying to remove bureaucratic hurdles, <laughs> you know, for, for providers. <laughs> the people who suffer from bureaucratic hurdles are the are the people receiving services. I think at the end of the day, you know, it, it becomes less person centered. The staff becomes less engaged. And, you know, I, I kind of see us as the CPA trying to do that at the level of the Department of Health, CMS, even at the federal level. And I think what y'all are doing at Cura is kind of on the individual organization level, trying to streamline processes, processes and rem- the paper pushing it <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, that gets in the way of doing the quote unquote real work. And it is the real work. And I just, you know, I just, I, I commend y'all for doing that. I mean, and I don't think anyone goes into any job to do paperwork. But I guarantee that a direct support professional does not go into that job to do paperwork. They want to be, as you were saying, I mean, it's it's a it's a mission. It's a calling for them. And they anything we can do to remove um, the red tape, I think, is is valuable. We're 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 testing our mobile version of the app right now which will allow staff to clock in and out. It'll remind them before their shift and after and just does a whole bunch of stuff. But one of the things that it does is it allows them to record their progress notes in electronically. And so one of the features, I was talking to one of our care attendants who, and I, and she was like, yeah, because, oh my God, writing all of this stuff, you know, the story of the day and everything. And I just said, I said, and Heather, it's so great because all you'll do is you'll just hold your phone up to your mouth and record and it'll translate it. And she was like, oh my God, it's voice to text. And I said, yes. And she was so excited. It was like Christmas for her, you know, mm-hmm. because she was just like, that will be so easy. I can't wait, you know, and she's one of our testers. So she's loving it, you know, yeah. but, but that's, and that's kind of how I enrolled her. I said, look, you could do that. And she was like, oh, I'm there. Just sign me up, you know, Absolutely. but, but that just makes her job easier instead of where's the pen and the paper. And, you know, they're very excited about that. The DSWs are like really excited because they understand they need to do the documentation, but it's just very, very difficult yes. to, to to do it, and so and to turn it in, and then to, turn it, to in. turn it in. Like, a lot of our staff live hours away from our office, and then to have them drive from the time that they've completed. At some point, it becomes a time critical situation where you've mm-hmm. got to get these documents turned in. Otherwise, I I don't have the information to get you paid. So they've, mm-hmm. now they've got to jump through hurdles to get this information over to the office in between trying to fill shifts, manage their own lives, and they live an hour and a half or two hours away from the office. It just becomes unmanageable. Very inefficient. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then they and then they turn it in after hours, and they forgot to sign one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you did 15 progress notes because you worked every day and you missed one. Mm. So guess what? You got to come back. And so how frustrating is that? You know, so it's 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 definitely a problem. And I think as as COVID, we're so used to being able to do things on our time. You know, Mm -hmm. we really have come to value our time, our our personal time. More so than I think in the past. Mm-hmm. I know I I have. I know I have. I, I know I have. And I think it's the same with everybody, you mm-hmm. know, that 
that, you know, no longer am I willing to sit at a doctor's office for an hour. Yeah. You know, I'll sit here for 20 minutes and then I'm out, you Mm -hmm. know, no longer will I stand in a grocery store line. Mm -hmm. I'll just order it from my phone and you can bring it to the car, you know, target the target. Whatever the circle, whatever it is, I love ordering things on Target because it saves me money because I don't go buy a bunch of stuff I don't need. And yes, I just pick it up on my way home from work. So my time is so precious now. And I think it's the same with our staff and, and yep. we have, and not just our DSW staff, but our office staff, our supervisors, our administrative staff. One of the things that the CPA really fought for last year and I think was a big success is keeping some of those COVID exemptions about in-person visits after the pandemic is over mm-hmm. and allowing people the flexibility to not have to go in the home for all of these meetings, to really let the department see that it, it is things still get done, people are still being cared for, but the, you know, you don't have to go in all the time. And I think that was a big success that, that the CPA accomplished last year. Thanks for joining us on another edition of the Home Care America podcast. 2022 is going to be an incredible year for Cura OS. This amazing software is going to change a lot of lives in the home care and waiver provider world. And we hope to meet a lot of new friends along the way and share some of those conversations with you right here on this podcast. So have a great week. Have an incredible and fun and safe Mardi Gras. And we'll see you again soon.